smaller on the outside. Hey, what's up? And welcome back to Smaller on the Outside, or as I would like to call it, Sotocast, the first, the best, and the only Doctor Who podcast that you just can't miss. My name is Dave, and I will be the Time Lord with you this evening, and with me as always is... Andy. Who will be the Kerblam Man with you this evening. <laughs> Uh, if this is the first time that you are listening to us, welcome, welcome, we're glad to have you, but to give you some insight on who we are, what we are, we are a, uh, TV show podcast, we talk about different TV shows per podcast season, but let's be honest, the only time we're not talking about Doctor Who is if Doctor Who is off the air, okay? So, <laughs> right. that, uh, yeah, so, uh, if you like what you're listening to, great, subscribe, Hit that like button, even though it's not YouTube, but if there's a like button, hit it. Uh, review us and tell your friends about us, because that's how, how things roll around here. That's how things go. Uh, this episode, called Kerblam, um, aired this Sunday. Uh, but before we get into that, let's talk about some news. The third and final update to the New Year's special. It's been, you know, rumored in the last two uh, podcast episodes, but pretty much right after we did the last podcast episode, the news actually hit that the Doctor Who magazine officially announced the New Year's special. I mean, they did it so nonchalantly and matter of fact. Now, is Doctor Who magazine an official thing or is that a fa like a fan made thing? I'm pretty sure that it is an official magazine. Yeah. Uh, okay. Officially, them, yeah. Uh, I, I love it because they they did it so matter of factly and and whatever. Like, let's talk about the New Year's special because they figure everybody already knows about it at this point. Well, that's the thing about them; they always think that. Okay. <laughs> Pretty much, you know. Last week we had kind of a short podcast episode. I gotta say, this this one probably is gonna be short too. You think so? There's not a lot to talk about when I'm thinking about it. It's a pretty straightforward episode, uh, and not super memorable either. So I liked it. Uh, was it the first episode of Doctor Who ever to have an exclamation point in the title? I is that true? I think I read that, um, and I wouldn't be surprised. And that's why I was joking with you last episode about accidentally seeing the title of this episode being all weirded out because it's like a 60s Batman action word, you know. Right. Kerblam! Kerblam! But it has nothing to do with that. The first thing that popped in my head when I saw that word was like an explosion or somebody hitting somebody like in Batman series, but it's not. It is basically the Amazon uh, storefront. Yeah. Except it's just called Kerblam. It's a Amazon and space Amazon space of the future, basically. Amazon of the future in space. Um, so, anyways, that's what this episode's about, uh, overall, and, uh, it starts off with the gang, they're all in space, we're seeing more of that space vortex, is they're, I don't know if they're racing, running away from, or running into the Kerblam Man. I uh, believe they were trying to run away from it because they thought something was chasing them, it turned out it was just the Kerblam Man was trying to teleport into their TARDIS, which I don't know how it did that. But, yeah. Isn't it supposed to be, like, the safest, you know, area ever that nobody can ever get into the TARDIS unless they are let in? Um, 
I wouldn't say that. Like, uh, but it usually you need some kind of, some kind of advanced time travel type technology to get in there. You know, like uh, you had Donna suddenly appeared in the TARDIS uh, while it was in the uh, time vortex, I believe, and that was because she had the the with the Huon particles, I believe, that were like they were time travel based. I think particles, something like that. Gotcha. Well, anyways, they run into this guy. It's basically a robot, okay? It's just a cheap-looking robot uh, that is sending her a package that she apparently bought a long time ago. Now, uh, did you recognize the voice of the robot? No. Now, I let me just confirm this. Um, find it. I can't find it, but I'm fairly certain it's the same voice that says, This is a kindness. In, oh, uh, really? really? Uh, that's what it reminded me of. At least it sounded just like that. I can't. I don't see that listed on the TARDIS wiki uh, under that th- that person's name, but I, I I don't know for sure. But that's yeah. what it sounded like, at least. So okay, so she gets delivered a package, and in that package is the a Fez hat. That's a pretty direct reference to the to past Doctor Who. We haven't had a lot of those so far, so that's nice. Yeah, and you know. I think there was an episode, probably, I think the one where the, where the TARDIS blew up, where I think Matt Smith loses his Fez and says it's okay, he can just buy another one. Okay. Something to that degree. I don't know if that's a direct reference to him saying that, or if it's just, hey, look, it's a Fez, you know? I don't, I don't remember that. Like, it just, like, it took years to actually get, to deliver the package. I guess they're just that busy. Um, well, you know, time travel and all that. Well, time travel doesn't answer anything. Time travel means you can get it in a snap of a finger. Or it can be forever ago. <laughs> right. Because uh, <laughs> things so, don't always line up. Now, this package had a distress signal, correct? Um, It said help me, I think, on it. Help me. It was in the packing slip. Packing slip. And we don't know who said it or why. So they basically go to Ker- Kerblam Planet, whatever the heck, and uh, investigate. And the way they do that is by doing undercover boss. <laughs> and, uh, well, not really, but it is what it is. They all go undercover as workers of this place. Now, there's something like 10,000 workers in this place, and uh, only 1,000 of them are human because of the labor laws. The ten per- there was a, a ten percent law that said that ten percent of of employees have to be humans. That's correct. So that's why. Now, what was interesting people. is the way they described that sounded like they said ten percent of employees at all levels must be humans, but they that they also said that the lowest level was only automated, which didn't make any sense to me based on that. Well, you know how it is. You know, just contradicting itself. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> So, all right, so our team goes undercover. They get scanned sometimes, like, you know, in, in airports, how they have the full body scans. It's like that, but, like, spacey. And then the power goes out for a few minutes, and it comes back on. And I think during this time when the power goes off, somebody's dying. Is that correct? That's a good That's a good guess. I'm guessing because, uh, yeah, because... The power outages kind of corresponded with with people, uh, you know, they they happened more and more as people went missing. So 
yeah, it had to be what's going on. I don't I don't know if they if ever completely brought that up later, but they kind of ignored a couple things in the in an episode. Like you remember, I, I I mentioned last week that I noticed the uh, next episode preview had Lee Mack in it. Right. I didn't but... I didn't say his name. I said the guy from uh, Would I Lie to You. One I think of the... you said his name. I don't think I did because I didn't remember what his name was until oh. I saw it in the credits. Oh. All right. So Lee Mack. Well, I definitely He's recognized from... him. You th- you thought I wouldn't, but I did. I didn't know if you would or not because you didn't really watch them while I did. I I do watch it. I watch clips of all those shows on YouTube. <laughs> well, anyways, like, well, I was, the point is, I was saying before, they ignore some things, like, Lee Mack's character, somewhat interesting, but ultimately forgotten, because, you know, he's a worker bee, but he does, he works, like, nonstop for several months or several years or whatever. He gets to go up to see his daughter, like, once every two years or, or twice a year. Well, I think it's twice a year. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it was something like that. It has this whole story about his daughter and everything. Uh, and pretty much the next scene after that, he, he was, like, killed off. So. Yeah, he went down to level, I think it was level 999 or something to look for a package. Well, yeah, he, he, he took over the duties of Yaz. Yeah. Because Yaz was going to do it. And he's like, oh, no, you just started here. You have your whole life in front of you. He basically knew there was a good chance he wouldn't come back. (laughs) And yet he took the risk. Yes. He took the bullet for Yaz, who he just met like 10 minutes ago. (laughs) Good guy. Whatever. Good guy. Good guy. Uh, Just kind of interesting that he's there. Uh, Now, you know more about British TV, British movies, stuff like that. The, um, The head lady, the blonde woman with the glasses... Yeah, she's apparent. She's, she's in Broadchurch. Okay, she's apparently some somewhat unknown actress in the in the British world, and I didn't. I only, I only her. knew her from Broadchurch. I didn't actually recognize her right away, but then uh, Mom said it, and I was like, "Oh, yeah." Broadchurch. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't. I, like I said, I don't recognize her from anything, but apparently that's what people were talking about more so than Lee Mack, and I'm like, "Oh." Really? Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Lee Mack was pretty much ignored. Um, so, apart from all this, there's this kind of love story going along, right? There's a couple right. of worker bees. Uh, I don't know if they're in love with each other or just the guys in love with her. I can't they remember. Seem, they both seem to have sort of a, a crush. A crush. But um, the guy, well, he has some political ideas about what's going on there. But... <laughs> Getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Um, so, what is everybody doing? Let's see. Graham is a janitor. Yep. Uh, Yaz basically scans things and picks up packages and yep. stuff. Ryan, what does Ryan do? Uh, I think Ryan's working with the doctor directly. Yeah, Ryan was with the doctor, but I don't remember what they were doing. They they went down to the packing area, so that's probably what it was, just putting boxes together boxes yeah okay um let's see now let's see the see this is kind of where the point in the episode where i'm kind of at a loss i can jump all the way to the end but that's not right um what do we learn at this point okay well they were just sort of investigating and And a lot of investigation i liked uh graham's side of things you know he was he, he was he was having fun first of all and uh, he was with 
uh, let's see, what was his name? Charlie? Is that it? Char- yeah, Charlie. Char- Charlie's the lovebird Romeo guy. Yeah. Yeah, and he was convincing him to like uh, go around and uh, find a map and and you know let him into places where he's not supposed to be and stuff like that. Because janitors uh, have the upper hand because they can go into pretty much any room that they want to. Right. Because they're janitors. They got the keys. They got the skeleton key. Well, and then what happened is uh, they. The doctor and um, the doctor and Ryan and Yaz are talking to the managers about the missing people. Okay, but then the managers don't really care. Well, no, they care, but they didn't. They didn't have information. the The one, the guy seemed a little bit more suspicious, and you know, the doctor uh, goes back and searches his office later and finds that he's been, you know, noting the uh, different people who've d- disappeared. Yep, but so we think maybe yeah. he's in on it, right? Well, it kind of looks that way just because he seems to be that kind of a character. And also, they were asking about the packing slips, and they said that only the ro- only the uh, robots access the p- packing slips. So there's no actual people down there writing "Help me" on it. That it has that, or either that or somebody's hidden down there. But that's what they were thinking, probably. But in the end, it was uh, the machines calling out "Help me." That's right. Well, not just any machine, right? It was the system. It was. I thought they had the uh, the first version, the first version of Kerblam. Um, one I don't remember what oh. exactly that was for. Now I know they 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 got the. Was it to maybe bypass anything might have changed? I think it was to see that the uh, where the changes were okay. uh, from the uh, origin and what it is currently. But also, I thought it was uh, 1.0 that sent out the message for help. Because he was kind of, like, held prisoner in a way. No, uh, not exactly. I think, uh, the system as a whole saw what Charlie guy was doing. He was setting up a terror plot, and so it, it called out to use pack. Yeah. Knew the doctor will investigate. Yep. But also trying to fight back with, um, when, when Charlie was in the, uh, man, came in there. Yeah. So, let's see. Uh, the, uh, young lovebird Juliet is led into a, some... Some kind of a containment. Kira. Room. A what? Kira. Kira. Oh, Kira. Kira is brought into a uh, a containment room of sorts, and while they're doing that, you got Ryan and Yaz and Charlie, and they are like riding conveyor belts for some reason. Uh, well, they needed to get down low level, and there are no humans allowed. The only way they were able to do that is go shoot. Yeah, that kind of reminded me of a lot of different movies about Toy Story Two. I don't know about Toy Story Two. I'm thinking Monsters Inc. Oh yeah, Monsters. Yeah. Yeah, Monsters. Toy Story Two. There's uh, at the Airplane. They were going all around yep. with the air belts, and they had to jump from one Toy, to the other. Toy Story too, and you know, I I think didn't Die Hard two also do something like that in the airport? Maybe, yeah, yeah, in the beginning of Die Hard, right? I don't remember where it was. I think it or or they knew it was like one of the first things. Yeah. All right. So while that's going on, uh, they find the bottom. Let's see. I don't know. Just a whole bunch of robots hanging out downstairs, like uh, like in what? Well, no, they found that they found that like tub of goop, right? A cup. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tub of goop. Yeah, and it's got it's got all the. Uh, well, now we didn't mention these before, but the uh, basically the uh, house arrest ankle brace things, right? That's that's what all the work were. Okay, yeah. And so you saw this tub of, of stuff, and it had the ankle brace. So you know the humans had been liquefied. <laughs> 
Well, I don't know. How are they liquefied when we know exactly what happens to them is they blow up? No, know that that was what the plan he had to, you know, he had to refine his technique. So things not go so well right away. The first few people he took, you know, not dying properly. The proper way, of course. Yes, yes. The, the proper way is by the use of deadly bubble wrap. Basically, he figures, you know, everybody's going to open their package and they're going to see this bubble wrap. Of course, you're going to pop the bubbles. You do. Well, <laughs> so he this puts is, a deadly bomb inside. This is when I, I, I message you. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. We have deadly bubble wrap. In the second episode, we had deadly flying clothes. Those were uh, those were actual aliens, though. Well, that's that's fine, but like, it's kind of silly. Like, that's why I said that it takes me all the way back to Living Plastic, the first episode where it had that big eh. rubber rubber trash can that ate people nah. alive. Again, that's aliens. That's more, uh, that's great intel. I didn't like, think it was. <laughs> I thought it was related. I, I don't. I know there was the, uh, the uh, maybe you watched the uh, bird doc plastic. Yeah. Little... Okay. Yeah, I think it's a great intel. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't remember. Um, but no, I the you know the the pla- that was just the weapon. No, the the bubble wrap exploding. That's the weapon. The real you know enemy was Charles. It's not about the guy. enemy so much as it is uh, about you know the threat. In my opinion, I think it's actually a smart a, a smart idea because you can send all these bombs and they don't look like bombs. They'll, they'll go you know any kind of security because everybody will pack. Well, with a perception filter, anything can look like normal. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> but the po- the point is, I don't think this season has really had a very memorable threat. Any of the episodes, any of them. I'd say I'd say this is a big because he was sending packages out to thousands, thousand people as um, and it kind of a it had a mess to it basically about uh the, the threat of automation taking over jobs, leaving a lot of people unemployed, and, and well, it's, I, you know a sensation I, of terrorism as all that. So I, I think that threat, not just well, the, the weapon. Yeah, he I know, and I do understand that, and I get it. I appreciate it, but it is it's another one of those things where it's silly just by what it it's looks fun. like. It's fun. <laughs> That's Doctor Who. Well, I'm going to say, like when you look back at previous seasons and you're looking at the villains of previous seasons and you have a lot more really memorable bad guys memorable threats memorable everything while i don't really consider any of this memorable the most memorable i would say this season would probably either be tim shaw or uh or uh stitch <laughs> and it's just it's, it's not on the same wavelength or the same page as the weeping angels the daleks Man, the ice it's very hard to get something because those are those are very rare they occasionally come up and then yeah you're gonna use but they're not very common i don't i don't just my opinion i think that they should try to at least what they should do is write a bad guy specifically for an arc you know yeah that that helped um they haven't done much art like it, like i said uh when chris chibnall ran Torchwood, which i think was two what i remember uh, reading two had a like you know have each episode sort of had story just like but there was an overall art and ended up uh leading felt like in door and it ended away i'm not yeah. getting the feeling of anything like that happening it it's just seem kind to be of a, random stories. Yeah, random stories. And it's not even, you know, as weird as this is, and I, I complained all the time about those uh, standalone stories that Matt Smith had. Remember? Season 7 was, I think, that were that. Yeah, Dinosaurs on a Space. I actually enjoy that episode. I think it's a fun episode, but it's definitely... Yeah, and... Uh, 
I'm, what I'm talking about is that half of the season, whatever the heck that was, where it had episodes like that constantly. Weirdly enough, I find those more cinematic and memorable than anything this season. And I don't really care about that half of the season with Matt Smith. But that, those first five episodes, I, I argue that most of the, or not first five, I first six, including the uh, snow, they, they spent most of that on those first six episodes and they were left with kind of disappointing lower budget episodes for season, except for the name doctor. Yeah. There, there were a couple things here and there. I think the journey's on I okay, yeah. I just think that maybe it rings of Akaten, but yeah. So, so there was there was a few standout episodes in that second half of that season, but the first half they they definitely a lot more of a bud. They knew it was going to be of aim. Right. Anyways, wouldn't you say that that first half of that season with Matt Smith had at least some kind of budget that specifically made it feel like short films or just yeah. you know uh, they're not all that interesting all the time, but they had a unique feel to them. It was uh, basically, it, it felt like Ran now, Amy, I think that. But yeah, even the snowman, a, yeah. even the snowman came after, right. yeah, after that, snowman. it felt like a much of <laughs> Well, uh, which I feel like this season is, it has its, uh, this season has its own kind of uh, feel to it, but. I would say on a whole, the, it's it's difficult to say, because the uh, cinematography is that good, which is a big factor in what it looks like. Uh, it's just that maybe the writing, writing. There are times where I feel like this season has a, a good budget looks good feels good but there's also a lot of times where it feels more like a show than it used to feel which was more more cinematic uh so i don't know it's weird i think what you're thinking of my part of uh steven Ma, which it goes along with uh Cheryl. yeah and i do think there are i think the first episode felt very uh, and there there are moments like that throughout these all maybe not quite same level but there are episodes like that with uh Kapal, well, ep- yeah anyways so i don't th- i don't think it's a departure okay well, I, I got, I guess. So this episode, how it ends here, um, we have the plot to kill all the customers, or a lot of them anyway, as a statement of automation. Uh, Basically, the, the well, idea rise against is the machines. kill all the customers, and it makes it look like this Amazon Kerblam company is, uh, is, is it because they use all these machines that they ended up ac- actually killing, even though it was actually a human that caused it. The idea was try to make the automation, which shut down the company would make more human jobs. Yeah, it's like a, there's a ghost in the machine. At least that's what he was trying to get across. It basically, Terminator's happening. No, I don't think that was the idea. I think it was more along the lines of bugs off. Well, yeah, I guess. And and his his main message was more along the lines of humans are losing jobs to robots. Mm-hmm. That's not Which a is good happening. thing. <laughs> yeah, that's an actual. That's a know, real that's thing. That's an actual threat. That threat there. Yeah, and I. I you know, I thought it was interesting, the whole 10% labor law. I, I found that was probably something that could happen in our actual world because of how many jobs are actually being lost to robots. Yeah, but here's the thing. That rule is, due, and that's because every machine do job of 10 people. <laughs> you know, so it's not exactly that great. And, and it, it, if it was real, it probably wouldn't be 10%. Yo. Wow, that was really interesting of uh, what you just said. <laughs> I have I have no idea what we were talking about.
Uh, something about that robots are evil and stuff. Uh, technical difficulties. As always. <laughs> you know, there, there is a computer. It is plugged in. However, it is plugged into a source that sometimes shuts off. So, when that happens, the computer also goes ker, ker, plop. You should get a, uh, uninterruptible. Ker. You should get a un- un- uninterruptible power supply. Oh. Should I? Yeah. Okay. I'll get on that. That'll keep it on when other things turn off. See, it doesn't turn off when the truck turns off. It turns off when the truck turns on. Because the power goes out. Yeah. Oh, truck's about to turn off. Uh Alright, so, how they fix this, how they win the day, how they save the world, is they basically take, uh, what is it, 1.0. Ask Jeeves or whatever his name is. They called it uh, had a name, and the thing is, I kept the name using Hoyle. <laughs> What's the name? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> That's ridiculous. I don't know. I, I, yeah, the the point of- Well, we're calling him Jeeves. All right. So they take his head and they basically rewrite the instructions for the cell sale here or whatever, so that all these people's products that are being sold to them or delivered to them, rewrote it so that all of the delivery addresses return back to the original Kerblam Man, and how they end everything is to basically have the Kerblam Man's pop the pop, popping bubble wrap to kill themselves, and I guess Charlie with them, because he was down there hanging out with the Kerblam Man. Yeah, that was a... <laughs> I don't know, maybe he didn't care about life anymore because Kira was dead so life wasn't worth living it really was romeo and juliet they all die in the end spoiler alert <laughs> oh by the way something uh, I didn't, then, we didn't mention is uh the doctor references agatha christie and the the wasp, wasp i remember story. that yeah yeah oh, here, yep, yep, here it was here it was they they referred to the 1.0 thing as world and i kept hearing the word toilet Whirly. <laughs> That's <laughs> oh, okay. They don't use the word toilet in British. It's the loo or something. The loo or whatever. It uh, depends on where you're, where you're. Yep. So that's how the uh, episode ends. Phew! That's me. Well, no, there was one more thing. They went back to the TARDIS, and Graham was so tempted to pop that bubble wrap. <laughs> <laughs> but he decided against. Yes. Because it is very tempting. Of, of, yes, of course. Even if you know it's going to explode in your does. face. There, yeah, that's how the episode ends. Um, Personally, I liked the episode. I thought, I thought it was a fun location. It's not about Rhett. I, I, I had a lot of, like, a lot of the uh, dialogue. It's okay, but most of the season has just been okay. I don't know uh, if, you know, come back later, but, you know, like, think, you know, like a lot. Think of this, but while I was watching, like, this is something, like, I feel like some of what I was experiencing. Well, I'm glad you had fun with it. I was kind of bored. You know, it's funny. I'm talking about my computer here. It has a it has a crack in it, and it kind of looks like a crack in the wall. It's a little fun tidbit for you. Because uh, it fell. The one time, yeah, fell over, fell to the ground. Here are straps, but it doesn't really have a good spot to put it. The other the other truck that I had did have a perfect spot for it. This one does not. Oh well. All, All right. right. So that was. Oh, that by episode. the way, this was also written by another episode. It was. It was not yeah. written by Chris. No, but Correct. the guy who wrote it did has not any other. He just walked on set and started writing. Pretty much. I don't know. Uh, never he's got he's that. got other shows on. Uh, yeah, I, babe, only, only I, Doctor Who. I read that they uh, they like to bring in guests, you know, writers, not specifically that you know just write for Doctor Who, but you know, write for other. Well, we shows, don't know so. if it's a guest writer because you know they changed the show run, changed the writer. Yeah, 
I know. I don't but know. I also, by the way, I, I was saying the voice of Kerblam sort of sounded like this, a kindness, yep. uh, the girl who waited. Yes. I looked it up and it's not the same voice. The voice of Kerblam is actually another, yet another actor from Broadway. Oh, good. <laughs> of course it is. And yeah, he was, uh, he also played one. Okay. Um, so yeah, that was that episode. Like I said, pretty short episode for the podcast. Uh, had a little bit of technical difficulties there, but when do we not? When do we not? So, you have anything else to add about these, uh, this episode? No. Say, nah. Uh, me either. Uh, next week, another episode. Uh, so stick around and, uh, we'll catch you next week with another episode on Smaller on the Outside. So, uh, my name is Dave. I was the Time Lord with ya. I'm Andy. And he's the, the robot guy. Kerblam Man. So, until next time. Get out of here with time. your robophobia. That's right. <laughs> Peace out. Peace out.